Darren, I'm sorry to say this, but you're fired. <laughs> Lisa sounded much better. Just kidding. That's right. Amen. Wow, thank you for the music this evening. That was just wonderful. Uh, so good to be here with everybody this evening and uh, being able to worship and just grateful to be here. I'm going to, well, I guess I'm already, hold on one sec, I'm going to take off this. I'm just going to sweat it out with my sweatshirt on. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this, this evening. We're going to turn be in the book of Galatians, getting back to Galatians. We had Brother Brandon from the Gideons last week who shared with us uh, uh, the first few verses of Romans chapter 1, and that was good to hear from him and gave you guys a break from me, but we're back in the book of Galatians this evening, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 through 21 is where we're going to be at, and um, if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you just want to follow along on the screen, it should be up on the screen as well. So we're just going to read these passages of Scripture, and then we'll uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to, to reveal to us, illuminate us to us through the power of the Spirit, what He has for us in this passage. So let's read, verse beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? The answer Absolutely not. Verse 18, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer lived, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to open up your, your word this evening, to hear from, from you, God, through the illumination of the Spirit, the preserved word that you've given us, the Spirit that works in the heart of, our, of every believer, Father, the Spirit who convicts the sinner of of uh, their need for to to receive Jesus, we're we're so grateful to be recipients of your goodness and your blessing that is found in Jesus and your gospel, and the way you've chosen to uh, intervene and and interact with your creation. God, we're so thankful for these things. And uh, Lord, we um, I'd be amiss remiss if I didn't just bring up our country this evening. We're on the eve of a a, a very important and. Uh, uh, it's just a scary time with the election coming, God. And so we just pray, Father. We, Our hearts are concerned for our country and for our citizens and for uh, the, the states and cities throughout our land, Lord, that uh, whatever happens come Tuesday, Father, that, uh, that you would, uh, through your, the power of your spirit, Lord, that peace would reign in our land. 
that we would have a peaceful, trans, uh, peaceful uh, election and, and power, uh, you know, um, resubmission or transmission of, of power of government, Father, however the election turns out. We just pray all those things would be peaceful, Father, that you would allow our election to be um, of the people and by the people and not interfered by or uh, uh, just, God, we just we call out to you and ask that you would, you would comfort us first, and, and, and I guess firstly, Lord, that you would, you would just, we know you're in control of all things, and so we just ask that you help us to rest in you and, and the control that you have over all things. You, you work all things to good and for your glory, but we also ask, Lord, that um, everything that happens these coming days, Father, would be pleasing and honoring to you, that you would use it for good and not for evil, Father, we, we trust in you, and we ask that you give us wisdom as we make the coming uh, uh, decisions in the vote that's coming this week, Lord. And uh, saying all that, Father, we just now ask, Lord, that you would meet with us, that you would remind us of um, everything that this world has to offer, Father, is just a fleeting moment compared to the riches of eternal life that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. And that is what we get to look at this evening and see what Jesus has done for us, God. And we're so thankful for this opportunity. So help us in that regard, Lord. Meet with us. Help us to set aside the distractions of things going on outside of the walls of this church this evening and that we would continue to worship you. As Corey mentioned, Father, not only in song, but now we worship you by the preaching of your word and we ask your spirit would meet with us would teach us would draw us close to you and make us more like jesus through your enabling power we ask these things in the name of jesus amen all right so we have these passages of scripture i cannot wait till we get to galatians chapter three i almost just wanted to jump over these last few verses here and go straight to Galatians 3. Galatians 3 is probably my, one of my most favorite chapters of all the Bible, at least this week or this month or this year, right? So that often changes. If you, I've probably said that in every, every sermon series I've done. But um, it's just, uh, what I love about Galatians chapter 3 is that Paul, Paul gives us the reason why it's by grace and not by works of the law. And he gives us the reason why the law was there in the first place and all these things. And it was never God's first plan to make us to be able to be reconciled to him. The law was never given to Moses for that fact. And Paul just just wonderfully lays that out for us in Galatians chapter 3. And so I can't wait for next week. And I, so I just encourage you to be here or be, to listen to the, to the sermons. It's not me, but just the, the, the power that is found in Galatians chapter 3. And, you know, if you're a big picture learner like me, if you need to know the big picture, Galatians chapter 3 is it. Where does the law work in all this? If it's always been by grace, how does that work? Why, why even bring the law? Why did God even give us the law? Paul answers those things in Galatians chapter 3 and 4. But Paul, before he does that, he lays out this, this thesis statement, this premise of his letter that he's given to the Galatians. If we remember, he's writing this letter to, a church, to churches in the region of Galatia that he's established on his first missionary journey, more than likely. And he's heard that he's, they've allowed Judaizers, we, those are the bad guys, right? The people that have come in and said, yes, Gentiles, you can be 
You can, you can uh, embrace Jesus as your Messiah. You can have eternal life. But you first have to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses. You have to become a Jew first. And then you can receive Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul says, no, we cannot add anything to the free salvation that is found in Jesus Christ that were given to us by grace through faith alone. And by doing so, by adding back the law, we're making grace void. And remember how he starts the letter off? If anyone else teaches, if even I come back to you and I teach to you another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Because preaching a false message, a false gospel, damns people to the eternal reality of hell. By mixing up and taking truth and mixing it in falsities reduces the, the power and the potency of the gospel message. And Paul recognizes that. And so he's writing this letter saying, look, foolish Galatians. That's how he starts Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. God has done this wonderful, marvelous thing for you in Jesus Christ, and now you want to bring the law back into it? And so his premise statement here in verse 16, you're justified. God is holy and just. He is the just judge of his creation. He will judge every sin. He will judge every slight of mishap that has been found in this earth. Revelations, Revelation, sorry, Tara, she hates it when... You call the book of Revelation, Revelations. Revelation chapter 20 describes this great time of judgment that's coming in the future, the great white throne judgment. And everyone who is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be judged according to their works because he is holy and just. And if he's just, if he's a just judge, he must punish sin. The graves, people will rise from the graves and they will be judged according to their sin. Except for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. For those who are covered in the blood of Jesus. Not that God has winked at our sin, but Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross. God's wrath was laid upon him for us. He remains just because he punished Jesus for our sin. But he's also the justifier because he's always that's always been the plan. That he would make a way for sinners like you and I who are dead and separated from him because of our sin, he would make a way through sending his son to die on our account to take that penalty for us. And those who receive and believe Jesus, right? How many times have we saw that in the Gospel of John the last couple, or I guess for us the last year, as we're going through the Gospel of John. John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said it again and again. Those who believe, who it's synonymous with by faith, Believe that Jesus' accomplished work is enough. Those are they who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those are they who will have eternal life. And those who do not believe are condemned already because they do not believe in what Jesus has done. It's This belief is this faith that Paul speaks about here in Galatians. Having faith, a, a saving faith is a we're hearing about this gospel message that Jesus came and died for your sins, took the penalty, and all you must do and receive and believe that. And by placing your faith and trust in him, 
The promise of Scripture is that we're born again. We're made alive into Christ. We are now uh, identified in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And just as he rose from the grave and ascended at the right hand of the Father, the promise is that all of us will one day be in the presence of our God. We will dwell among him. He will be our God, and he will be with his people. And it is all because of what Jesus has done by placing our faith in Christ alone. God declares us to be justified. A judge stands and says, you're justified. It's a legal declaration. You are perfectly just because you now stand in Christ. Christ made that justification for us. Verse 16, and yet, because we know he's talking to Peter, right? Who Peter, who kind of slipped, if we remember, a couple weeks ago. He was eating with Gentiles and having a good time because they realized that it was not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. That wall of separation between Gentile and Jew had been torn down through the new covenant. And all of a sudden, these men from James, the representative of James, probably the Jerusalem church, come, and, and they're Jewish. And all of a sudden, Peter starts eating with them and separates himself from the Gentiles because that's always the tradition. right? And so other Jews that were Messianic Christians began to follow him. And Paul calls him out for it in public. says, you messed up. And he's finishing his argument here. And yet we know that a person is not justified, this legally declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He's like, look, we're both Jews. We know that the Mosaic law, we understand now, it was never meant for that. It's not through the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. They repented. They were trusted in the ways of the Mosaic law. They were trusting in the traditions of the fathers. They encountered Jesus. They repented. They, they saw their error in following and trying to make themselves righteous in front of a holy God by their works, by their self-righteous works. They, they saw they had a change of mind and they instead embraced what Jesus has done for, had done for them. And they were saved. They believed on Christ alone. They turned from their righteous religious acts and and trusted in Christ's righteousness alone. And he's saying, look, we even understood this, Peter. And this was so that we might be justified again, this legal declaration, not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law, because they, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Verse 17, there's three different points that I want to talk about now that I've spent uh, a good 15 minutes on the review that I was just supposed to do, just quickly browse over those things. And now there's three points that I want to just point out of verses 17 through 21 that I hope, hope that will help us today and tonight to think on and to reflect on what Christ has done. And the first point, and they all have to do with death. I know that's kind of dark, but that's just what I came up with. So, sorry. The, the title's here, Dead is Dead. Dead is Dead. Verse 17, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ not then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. So Peter's saying, look, he's, he's, he's acknowledging that him's declaring to, these, to Jews that we are no longer justified. We, are, we have never been justified by the law, the law, but we are instead justified by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
He can see them saying, wait a minute. What you're saying is, is that you can just be a sinner. You can just be however you want to be because you're identifying with Jesus. And, and so he's saying, uh, I understand that what you might think is going to happen is that Christ, by believing in Christ, Christ is promoting sin, right? We can just do whatever we want. How many people in here have heard that response by other people? So let me get this straight. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then you just go on sinning and doing whatever you want, and then he's just going to take you to heaven after you die. because, Right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's, he's seeing this, this objection. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified in Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? And our response, his response, our response is absolutely not. Because we're made born again. We're given a new heart. We are made alive unto God. We are given a heart that is able to pursue God and wants to please him, not because of we want to earn favor with him because of what he's done for us. It is the Spirit of God working within us that now is the means in which we pursue a life that pleases and honors our God for what he has done. So absolutely not. Christ is not, being in Christ is not a means in which sin is promoted. And this is the dead is dead. If I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. He's saying, look, these things, the law that I've torn down, that used to be the A number one thing in my life, the Mosaic law, all the things that I did. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. We've been through all that. We saw how Paul's testimony of who he was, and he was persecuting the church, and he rejected those things. He turned from those things, and he tore those things down. Those were no longer walls and a prison cell in which he was held himself in bondage of the law. If I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. He says, look, I've tore that down, but if I return to it, then I'm, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. If I come back to, to this law, which the Spirit of God has testified to me, that I cannot be justified in the presence of a holy God, and I must trust and believe in Christ's accomplished work alone, if I begin to add things to Christ's accomplished work, we begin to build that wall of separation that we see versus Gentile and sinner, or Gentiles and Jews. He's truly showing himself to be a law. Keeper. He doesn't say that, does he? A lawbreaker. If I rebuild the wall, if I rebuild those things of the law, all I'm going to do is show myself to be a lawbreaker again. That's all I've been able to do. And all of us, the law is given to us to be a tutor so that we can see our need for the Messiah because we are not law keepers, brothers and sisters. We're born sinners, we're lawbreakers. And that is what the law was given to us for, to see that we'd fall drastically short of a holy and just God. And if we add law to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing we're doing is showing ourselves that we fall drastically short. We're law breakers, not law keepers. Dead is dead. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. That's my testimony. And I, I know some of you have that same testimony. I, I, I grew up in, in, a, in a legalistic religious system where you said you must do these things. You must do this and this and this. And if you do them long enough and sincere enough, then God may accept you. 
You may, might have, be able to have a relationship with him as long as you keep these rules and these laws. And guess what happened? I'd keep them good as far as I thought for a few months, but I'd always trip up. And I'd repent. And in that case, the repentance meant I felt bad for it. I promised not to do it again. I showed, I'll show God that I really, really meant it this time, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Go a few uh, months later and then trip up again. For my entire young adult life, again and again, failing miserably. Early 20s, okay, I'm an adult now. I, I, I have the maturity to be able to, to do these rules. I didn't. I looked myself in the mirror every Sunday morning, put my tie on, and going, you hypocrite. The thoughts in my mind that were unholy, the lusts and the desires of my heart, I can pretend that they're not there, but I know who I am. And I'm not that person I'm pretending to be. And it was a law that showed me this, that I failed miserably time and time again. And Paul's testimony here is, for through the law, I died the law. The same thing happened to him. When he compared himself to the law and the holiness of who God is, he died to the law because he realized he couldn't do it. He realized he could not live up to that expectation that God had laid, in his case, in the Mosaic Covenant. But through the law, him seeing his, his lack of ability to, to fulfill the law in every point, right? James 2.10 quotes the Old Testament. The half-brother of James says, he that keeps the whole law. So you're doing good in everything. You're, you're doing the tithe. You're doing your ceremonial stuff. You're washing your hands when you're supposed to. You're, you're, you're doing everything. You're obeying the Sabbath. You're, not, you're only doing so many steps. You're doing all these things. He, James quotes this Old Testament quote that says, he that keeps the whole law yet offends in one point is guilty of it all. That is the law. It doesn't, we, can, we can measure out where our, these are really bad sins and, and these aren't so bad of sins and the consequences of those sins probably are worse in some areas and others like murder versus right, uh, being angry at somebody. But in the eyes of a holy and just God, you're guilty of it all. That's why Jesus said, he who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart already. We're guilty in the eyes of the law. Paul had this testimony. He saw himself who he was and he died. He put himself in Christ. He repented and received Jesus because the law showed him of his need. But look at this, the good news of the gospel, so that I might live for God. I might live for him. That our purpose, our lives this evening in Idaho Falls has a purpose. We can all commit to living for God and for his kingdom so that I might live for God because of what Christ has done. If you're in Christ, you can live for God. Dead is dead. Romans 7 talks about this. Paul writes in Romans, and I just want to read these verses, what it means to, to why, why is he bringing up this, if I died to the law, or through the law, I died to the law. And Paul really expounds upon this in Romans chapter 7. He gives us a picture of what it means to, to be dead to the law. Okay? And if you're in Christ, this, this is the good news. The Mosaic law, the God's law that is written on our hearts as Gentiles, 
In Romans 2, it's what it says that he's done. Romans 2.20. God says that the law is written on our hearts so that we are without excuse. Paul expounds here of why we can embrace this being dead to the law. Verse 1 in Romans chapter 7. Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? So the law, the the legal laws like we have today, they they rule over us as long as we live, right? The marriage covenant, right? We we submit ourselves in marriage to the male and female under God uh, in the presence of witnesses until... Death do us part. And he says, look, you're under the law, these, these things that God has given in here, as long as you live. Verse 2, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. The law no longer has bearing over her because her husband has passed. That covenant she made with her husband was only good until death do they part. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called. She, wait. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. So if the first husband dies, the, the wife is more than, uh, you know, they can, she can go out and find another person to marry. And she would not be considered an adulteress. That's the all Old Testament law. But Paul's giving us an example of here of how the law no longer takes effect because of death. Verse 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who is raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit unto God. And so just as the, the wife could, was free to marry another man because the law allowed for it, if the law, man was to pass away, we who are in Christ, Christ has what? Died for us, was buried and three days later rose again. And we, as Baptists, we identify with that being in Christ and his death. We, we're dying. We're dead in Christ. And going into the water, we, we demonstrate that we are, our old person is dead. Our, our sins are washed away. And we, we come up out of the water into newness of life. because Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And we're identifying with that. He rose from the dead three days later, having victory over death. Having victory over sin. And so we are dead to the law because we're in Christ. Christ died so that we might be dead to the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ this evening, then the law no longer has any subjection over you or power over you because you are dead to the law because you're in Christ. And he had victory over death and sin. So sin no longer is our, we're not we're no longer bound to it. We are, we have no condemnation in the eyes of a holy God because we're in Christ. He says, you belong to him who 
was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. And, and so the good news is he doesn't just shet, set our shekels free and say, you're free to do whatever. We now have the opportunity and the ability and the gifting to bear fruit, eternal fruit unto God. Fruit that lasts. Gold, silver, precious stone that will last into eternal the eternal reality that comes when Christ returns for us. Dead is dead. Verse 5, he goes on in Romans, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused the law were working in us. We, right, we've all been there. We, we've had those arousals, those passions aroused to the law. The law is, magnifies it, right? We know it's bad, right? The, when I had kids growing up, or when I was, yeah, I was basically growing up with my kids. Terry would probably agree with that. It's almost as if you told them, you know, they get the three or four and you say, don't touch the stove. What do they want to do? Oh, there's a rule? I need to break that rule, right? And we know the natural consequences will teach them the lesson. But that's the natural sinful nature. We see a law. We see a rule. Our sinful natures want to say, let's break it. Let's see how close we can get to that, that line, right? For we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused to the law were working in us to bear fruit unto death. Those things, the law bears fruit unto death. It can only condemn us. Verse 6, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of spirit. Did you know God the Spirit dwells inside of you this evening? If you're a believer, the very God of God's has chosen you as a temple, a place to dwell. He desires to illuminate you to the truths of who he is and who God is. And, and he desires to transform you into the image of Jesus. These are all things given to us as a down payment of what is to come. Let us embrace with passion these wonderful gifts God has given us that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. It's not check, check, check. It's, Lord, what can I do for you today? How can I glorify you today, Lord? Use me, God, to glorify your name. We may serve him in newness of the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit of God. What a beautiful and great blessing. Verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. And that's what Paul's saying. Look, I, I wouldn't have known how much of a sinner I was unless the law was presented to us. And so if you want to know why the Mosaic law was given to Moses, the cliff note portion of it is so that we can know how sinful we truly are and how there's no way we can meritoriously earn favor with God through our own self-righteousness. It's always been not through the law of Moses, but through the promise of Abraham that came before the law. It's always been God's plan. Not out of law, but out of a promise given to Abraham thousands of years ago. We stand here, 2,020 benefactors, with a promise he gave to Abraham. Amazing. 
What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it was to covet if the law did not say do not covet. And hopefully we have all been there, right? We've all seen how holding the law of Moses as a mirror in our lives can demonstrate to us how sinful we truly are, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Who hasn't told a lie? Anybody? Not told a lie? Okay, good. Because that would have been your first lie, right? That's what the law does. It's our tutor to show us our need for Jesus. So getting back to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to finish up here. The death of Christ should define our life. And so Paul says, look, Peter, we're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And it's this faith that I'm taking wholeheartedly now. I'm trusting in Christ. My life is no longer mine. I'm living for Christ alone. Man, Lord Jesus, help me to be more like this. That my life would be lived for the glory of God and not my own passions and desires. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. He's identifying himself with the death of Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. I'm in Christ. My identity is now in Christ. I no longer have an identity outside of Christ. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This personal appropriation of what Jesus has done. We can stand back and scholarly look at what Jesus did on the cross and have these big fancy words of propitiation and justification and all these other things of, of what happened there. And we can talk about how Christ, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can speak of the world wholeheartedly. And we, we can see in Ephesians where he says Christ died for the church, the ones that are called out. And that's all great and that's all dandy. But here, this is what it comes down to. The personal appropriation of what Jesus has done for you. For you. That you too may live for Christ. That you too may have identity in Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The death of Christ should define our life. The death of Christ, the death of Christ should demonstrate God's grace to us. Galatians 2.21 the de- uh, says, I do not set aside the grace of God. He's saying, I don't set aside God's grace, his unmerited love and favor. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What, what Peter was doing was setting aside this beautiful gift of grace and embracing the law again. And he says, I'm never, I never want to do that. I never want to set aside God's grace. Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's like, it's either Christ and him fulfilling it completely and fully for me, or there's nothing. I have no hope. Our trust and faith in Christ, if it is not, righteousness doesn't come through him, is in vain. Then Christ died for nothing. He's holding fast to this beautiful promise of grace, unmerited favor given to us, and allotted to us through the sacrifice of Christ. 
this grace Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm closing with this. It's just a beautiful description of what grace is. How truly we don't earn it. We saw Paul's testimony, or yeah, Paul's testimony, how he was persecuted. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And Christ encountered him. He was on the road to, to jail and to, and to persecute and to even kill fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christ chose him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. It's truly unmerited. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus of Ephesus, he says, Again, this beautiful greeting that we often see. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Are you poor on this earth? If you're in Christ this evening, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavens because you're in Christ. What a gift. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and loved before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. According, why? To the good pleasure of his will. And what is Paul's response? To the praise of his glorious grace, his unmerited favor, his extension of his love to you. Not giving, uh, judging you, not saying you haven't done, you're, you've done, haven't done a, a, so much evil that I'm not. He gives it to all who will receive and believe him. We don't have to earn it. If you're not in Christ this evening, you can this evening call out to him, and he, the promise is, he will save you because he desires to give you his grace, this unmerited favor, this this salvation that he's given to us through his death, burial, and resurrection to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us. He didn't just give us a little bit of grace. He lavished it, right? Thanksgiving's coming. That gravy bowl comes around, right? I'm pouring the, I'm just pouring it on, the potatoes and the, and the turkey. God says, through the Spirit says through, uh, uh, through Paul, this grace, he, he didn't just give us a little bit. He lavished on it in the beloved one, in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. It's an amazing thing. I hope I never get over how good God is. How amazing his grace is. And let us reflect on that in the weeks to come. No matter what happens in this world, if you're in Christ this morning, this evening, <laughs> if you're in Christ this evening, He has given you all the blessings in heaven. He has given you an eternal life that is to come. He has given you a tree of life that changes its fruit every month. We will dwell with our God, and He will be with us. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. That is what God has given us in Christ Jesus. May we praise his glorious grace and how we treat others around us. Uh, Jonathan Stott said this, 
He gave us. He gave two different uh, demonstrations of what it, of how what uh, how a person can interact with with the teachings that are of grace and and how God has given that to us and how our, of our need for Jesus. There's a guy named William E. Henley who boasted this. It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Self-righteousness, right? I don't need God. I don't need grace. I don't need all that. I am the captain of my soul. It matters not. I am the master of my fate. But Christina G. Rossetti said this, None other lamb, no other name, none other hope in heaven or earth or sea, none other hiding place from guilt and shame, none beside thee, O Lord. Where is your heart this evening? Which one of you, which one of those are you? I pray that if you have not encountered Christ, that tonight would be the night when you abandon hope in all else, you repent and then turn and embrace Christ's accomplished work alone. That you too would understand that there's no other name, there's no other hope in heaven or earth or sea. Whatever happens come the election, that is not the hope that a Christian should rest in. Our hope should rest in Christ. There's no other hiding place from guilt and shame. None but thee, O Lord. Let's pray. Father God, be thankful for this opportunity to open your word, to, to see this beautiful gift that you've given us of this salvation that is so rich and deep, God. And we're thankful, Lord. We're thankful to, to not only have your word, but to be able to see how you've used it throughout human history to, to show your, your uh, rescue story that Jesus has always been in your plan. And we're so thankful that we can place our faith and trust in him and have relationship with you because of him and have our identity in you and the things of heaven because of what he's done for us, Lord. We're thankful that we we come to you and you see not our sin, but his righteousness, God. You're so good to us. Thank you, Father. Help us to reflect that. Your goodness and your love to those around us. May we be the light that you've called us to be in this dark world. To you, all praise and honor and glory be, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Thanks. Yeah?